Okay, let's get underway. Let's uh, start by praying, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, drawing us together. We pray that this opportunity to, uh, to praise you and bless you and to learn about you would be fruitful uh, to us as we aim to just draw near to you, Lord. Father, we know that you love us. You've put your Holy Spirit within us. You cherish us. And you rejoice over us, Lord, and we are so glad to know that uh, we have a Father in heaven who's looking out for us and taking care of our steps and causing us to walk in right ways. Father, as we read your word tonight and study your word, would you just speak to our hearts and minds, convict us where we need to be, convict us, encourage us in all things, and and cause us to uh, to put down roots into into you, to go deeper. Lord, as we abide in you, we know that you abide in us. And we praise you for your presence here with us tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you all for coming to week six of our course. And we're over halfway, but there's still plenty of uh, really good stuff to come. And... As I was preparing for tonight, I was really kind of convicted because you know the expression, um, those who can't do, teach. (laughs) And I've found over the last couple of weeks my mood slipping and getting darker and... and, um, And just a reminder to me that talking isn't a substitute for doing. And even if we're talking about God's word, which is really encouraging, it's not a substitute to actual meditation on God's word. It's not a substitute to drawing near to God in our hearts and praying. It's not a substitute for praise and worship. We can talk about praise but not actually do it. And so it's really important, I've been learning very much in the last few days, it's really important for me to do it, not just to teach it and prepare to teach it. So I exhort you to do likewise. Don't don't be satisfied with just talking about it. Actually implement it. And so we've had lots of really good stuff and, and, and God's word I'm sure has spoken to you take the opportunity to in faith respond one on one with God and uh, let him talk to you and minister to you as you do that and don't just settle for talking but actually do it so here endeth that lesson so we've we've covered lots of ground so far we've seen um, the seriousness of depression we've seen how it can affect us physically but how we can still have joy as our experience and in the last couple of weeks we've we've seen quite a few verses that have concentrated on the role of the holy spirit and and we've seen that the holy spirit is both our comforter and our helper and he is the presence of god within us that jesus promised when he left I'll not leave you as orphans, he said, but I'll send the comforter to be with you. And so this week we're going to look at the, the role of the Holy Spirit even further. We, we're going to see that Jesus didn't 
retreat into heaven when he when he was resurrected, and now look upon us from afar, um, and and leave us to struggle, but instead has filled us with the Holy Ghost, and that the Holy Ghost has started a work within us that He promises to bring through to completion, that He promises to keep going right up until Jesus returns. And why is this important for us? Well. It came out in the in the research in the studies that Christians were very encouraged by knowing that change was happening. That change in their life was both coming and it was already happening. And it was happening because God had started a work in them. And even though they could be incredibly miserable at times, they knew God was at work. And that was really encouraging to to many Christians, and we'll see that come out in the in the research a little bit later on. Basically, his work has begun in us. We are healing, and we have been given hope, and it's a living hope that continues to grow within us as we as we progress. So we'll start with two Corinthians five seventeen, and we'll see the first change that has been made in us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So last week we looked at Jesus' redeeming work for us that he did on the cross, that he took away our, our sins and he conquered sin and death on our behalf. And this week we're starting at that very same point that we have been resurrected with him into a new life. We are actually a new creation. And this is the first change, that we have actually been given life. The old has passed away and all things have become new. Now we should receive hope from that because it doesn't matter whether it was yesterday or this morning or 10 years ago or 20 or 50 years ago the triggers for us in what causes our moods to go low have been dealt with and all things old have passed away. So it's not just like we became Christians, new life, and now we start accumulating new baggage. We don't do that. We have the means that all things are new every morning, that our confession, our life with Christ makes all things new and we can be shedding the baggage as fast as it accumulates or as it wants to accumulate. So we're going to be seeing the work of the Holy Spirit and we see in uh, the Ezekiel verse there, uh, Ezekiel 36, uh, 25 through to 27. Would someone like to read that for us? And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Okay, so we see this process really nicely given to us that we have all been through. That God starts by cleaning his people And then he gives a new spirit and a new heart. 
And finally, he would put his own spirit within us, which would change our desires, right? It would change our desires to wanting to live according to his will. Now, so we see a number of changes there, if, if we can just track through with them. So change number one we got from the previous verse was actually new life. Change two we see in this Ezekiel passage is a new heart and spirit that God puts within us. Change number three you'll see is the Holy Spirit is placed within us. Change four is that we now have new desires. And change five is that we would actually walk in godliness. This is a real change in our lives, isn't it? Now, at Pentecost, when uh, you'll remember in that scene where, um, where the disciples were, were speaking in tongues and there was a, a great noise and, and the people wondered what was going on and, and Peter addressed the crowd and he told them that they had crucified the Messiah and they were, they were cut and they, they cried out, what shall we do? What should our response be to this? And, and Peter declared, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this is important because the Holy Spirit's ministry is what change is about in our lives. It's what the Holy Spirit is doing within us. It's not our work, it's his work. It's relinquishing our control, our will, to his will. So we are reminded that the Holy Spirit has been called in previous studies the comforter and the helper, and we've also seen him referred to as the spirit of truth because he will lead us into truth. And of course, we also saw that leading us into truth, who is the truth? Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So the Holy Spirit leads us into Jesus. And Jesus leads us into relationship with God. So we see this beautiful working of the Trinity. So it's just a really critical point that we start with that no matter how you feel, the Holy Spirit is indwelling in you and has started a work in you that he intends to bring on to completion. So know that you're a work in progress. There's no arrival. There's not until Jesus comes back and we get new bodies. There's, um, there is only a, an ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So 2 Corinthians three sixteen to 18 is very pivotal and you'll recognise it straight away. Can someone read that one for us? Nevertheless, when one who turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay. So I've identified four really important truths for us in this. So do you think you can have a look at that passage and, and tell me what they are? Four really really important truths so let me just start by saying so the veil is taken away what does that mean our eyes are opened we can see things see things afresh and new we can understand things for the first time the things of God 
is a really important thing. So the first thing is our eyes or our minds are illuminated. We can finally see. What's another important thing? So liberty? That's exactly right. Where the spirit is, there is liberty. It's a, it's a funny thing, isn't it, that the world will think that becoming a Christian is being becoming a slave to something incredibly boring and, and that is the exact opposite to what God intends. He intends us to enjoy liberty. I had that little picture of, uh, you know, they tell a story that in a, in a fish tank, if you have a dividing wall in your fish tank, the fish will stay in their own halves. And if you remove the dividing wall, the fish will still stay in their halves. Um, I don't know how true that is. I haven't sussed it out for myself. But um, we are given liberty. We, and we are to enjoy it. We can enjoy it and explore it. Okay, so where the, lib- uh, the spirit is, there is liberty. What's another great truth in this passage? We are being transformed. Okay. What are we being transformed into? Yeah, the image of Jesus, the, the, the likeness of Christ. Okay, so that's a, a fantastic truth. And what's the other truth about that with regards to the mirror? What's, the, what's it meaning by looking into the mirror? Yeah, and we can actually see it. So it's not just we'll be like him, but we, but if we have eyes to see, we can see what Jesus is doing in us, and we can be encouraged by that. And I'm sure, even if you are struggling with depression, you will see things in your life that are more Christ-like now than they were when you first started your journey. That you'll see that things have been given up, or you, you express faith where you used not to, you have hope where you used not to, you might forgive people, but you used not to. You might have a whole stack of behaviours that are more Christ-like now than they were then. And we're given that joy of being able to actually see it happen in our lives. Now, you'll note that the, the statement isn't conditional with regards to us being transformed. We are being transformed. Now, so... It's only a little word, ah, but it's a very powerful word. It means it is actually happening. We are being transformed. It is actually happening in our lives. And it's not conditional on, um, on on many things. It's a work that the Holy Spirit has started in us. We will look at the fact that we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can quench the work that he desires to do in us, but... We'll get to that shortly. Okay, Philippians 1, 3 to 6. Can someone read that one for us, please? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you, for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay. So I hope you're struck by this enormous, incredible reality that God is at work in you. God himself is at work in you, in me. 
That's a really amazing thing. Okay, this isn't a man-made religion where God is outside and, and beckoning us on or asking us to do good works or demanding that we do and we're always going to wonder how we are in our relationship. God himself is at work within us. And it's an amazing difference in the one true God and the way he operates. He's, he wants to be intimate with us. So his power is at work in you. Now, this should give you great confidence because it's not confidence in you. It's always, we know our failings, right? One of the things that people who suffer from depression are really good at is understanding their failings. We can focus on it very intently. And so looking to ourselves is not very comforting and thinking, what do I have to do to progress in my faith? You know, if it relies on me, I'm in real trouble. But it relies on the Holy Spirit and the work that God is doing within us. And this is very encouraging because God is doing the work. Now, as I said, we can resist the work of God. But what comes through really clearly is that God is persistent with his children. And he will redeem everything. Every stuff up, every failure, every sin, he will redeem it all for your benefit and for his glory we see in the children of israel right 400 years the old testament prophets were telling the people to repent just a really good side note there when people say that the god of the old testament was a meanie the god of the old testament was unbelievably patient with his people 400 years he sent prophets to tell the people, repent, stop your idolatry, come back to me. You know, wooing them with his love, and yet they wouldn't return. They went into exile, very harsh punishment, very harsh discipline. But, when, but it is said of Israel that when they came out of exile, they never fell into idolatry again. That sin was gone. See, so the time was redeemed even their waywardness was redeemed by God. He does this in our lives. It's one of the, the miraculous things that shows God's sovereign work, that he can make anything work for his plan, work for his glory, including our silliness, our sin. Very encouraging, isn't it? It is. It is very encouraging. But we know the work that is happening within us, the work of the Holy Spirit. We know it's a battle. And we looked at some of this last week, and the depressed no the person knows it better than anyone else. There is a real battle going on within them. A battle that means that sometimes incredible joy and incredible despair can be on the same day in our lives. And we feel like we're even losing our minds. I mean, I often feel like I am going insane. You know, I am going mad. I'm having dementia. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's the onset of dementia. You might be, you might be right. But um, <laughs> that's exactly right. There, there could be other explanations. But 
but we have that dichotomy within us, don't we? Where joy and praise can coexist with this great sadness. And we wonder why, and we're, we're, going, to, we're going to get to see it. And last week, we looked at the, the Romans 7 passage, so um, we will read it again because we're going to pick out something new in it this week. So if someone would like to read Romans seven twenty one to 25 for us. Romans seven twenty-one to 25. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Okay, so then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So we see this battle that's going on within us. Our flesh is on the way to the grave, whilst our new spirit longs to serve God and wants to bring our flesh into subjection. We want to do good, but we don't. That's the reality of it. And if you're a Christian that doesn't do anything wrong, Uh, maybe you're dead already I don't don't know maybe you've been glorified already but so don't be surprised by your sin we want to do good but we don't the wrong things that we don't want to do we do so the battle is real that's going on within us and Jesus understood this right because you'll remember in the garden of Gethsemane he said to his disciples stay here and watch and pray Right, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. And he and he went off a little further, and then he came back, and he found his disciples asleep. And Jesus recognised the battle that was going on within them when he said, "Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's a reality in our lives. The spirit wants to do good, but our flesh wants comfort." That's all all there is to it. So, and we see the immediate reality that Peter then went and fell back to sleep, given the next opportunity. Jesus went away and prayed. Peter fell back to sleep. He did enter into temptation. And even though Peter was absolutely gung-ho and, you know, would go to death for Jesus, a little while later he would see exactly how weak his flesh was. Okay, now, of incredible importance to all of us, did Jesus condemn Peter? No, he didn't. Far from it. What did Jesus do? He loved him. And? Forgave him. And? Encouraged him. Restored him gave him a critically important job to do in the kingdom. So it wasn't just, 
okay, Peter, I can tolerate you again now. You know, we've made good, but you've blown it. It was absolutely full-on restoration for Peter. Okay, this is the same Jesus that deals with you and I. Right, so it's really important we recognise that. Jesus is very compassionate towards us. And we have the opportunity to every day receive from him and start again. Receive and start again. Yesterday, the old is gone, the new has come. So the primary battle for us is for our mind. We know that. We looked at those Psalms early on where we, where we saw that, that David could almost have any circumstances. His enemies could be doing anything. He could be in the wilderness hungry. But if his soul, if all was right with his soul, it was no problem. It was only when he went to despair, when his soul was overwhelmed, that David was worried. You know, he, he knew that when he, his soul is overwhelmed, things aren't looking good. So the question for us is, what will we think about? What will we believe? All those things that our mind is in control of. Will we go to the world for, for, for knowledge and wisdom or will we trust in the Lord? And, and that in and of itself is another battle. It's the battle. Will we do it God's way? Will we believe what God would have us believe? Or will we believe what comes natural to us, if you like, or what the world might teach? Now, I think I've come to understand something new about this for, for the first time only recently because I, I never understood, and it came out in the survey, that people, that Christians responded by saying, look, I know good Christians who are faithful who have depression. I know some really genuine folks who have depression and I don't understand it. So these were folks who... Um, who didn't suffer from depression. Um, so they were very um, loving and compassionate and kind, but they didn't understand it. And I don't think I've understood it. Really, how, how in my own mind, how can these hugely separate things inhabit the same space? It, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing thing that it actually happens. But then... I've been really keen to hear what Regina had said in the first week and some studies around that. We'll remember that the way our brain responds physically, right? We, we get cortisol pumping through our, our brain when, we, when we're stressed and anxious and when we have bitterness and anger. And then if that is a prolonged thing in our life, it actually causes physical changes in our brains, now, I don't know if you guys know, I'm really old, you guys aren't so old, but you remember the movie Mad Max 2, he had this amazing car, and it would go along, and, and on the top of the gear knob was a, I feel like it was a red button, but maybe that's just a cliche, there was a button, and you hit the button, and nitrous oxide pumps into the engine, and off goes the car at lightning fast speed. The question is, can the car always run that way? Can it run at full speed all the time? 
It has to stop. An engine isn't made to be in hyperdrive the whole time. And our brains are the same. We're not made to be operating in fight or flight um, mode constantly. Now, our body's really smart. It says, I'll pump you full of adrenaline to get you through this circumstance, right? Because that's what you need to cope with what's going on. And, and you can have a little meltdown later, like I do, about two days later. And, um, but, but if that keeps going, it's like the button's still staying pressed down on, the, on, on, the, uh, on your motor. And, and actual damage starts to happen in your brain. Now, the thing is here, we weren't promised a new brain. God didn't say... I gave you a new brain and a new heart. He said, I'll give you a new spirit and a new heart. And your mind is going to be renewed. And I started thinking about that. Well, what does that actually mean? Our mind is not our brain. Right? Our brain is this fleshy thing that processes data. It processes stuff. And it's corrupt. It's corrupted. I started thinking about a computer and the hard drive in your computer. We've got a computer that's 10 years old, right? It's really getting clunky. It, it doesn't do what it's meant to do. Every day it gives us error messages. This is our brain. Right? This is our brain. Now, the manufacturer comes along with a brand new disc. Oh, you're all, all old enough. There's some young people in the room that won't know what a disc is. Right, okay, but you get this CD, a DVD, and it has the new instructions. It's the new operating system, and you plug it in. And this is what's happened to us as Christians. We've been plugged into the Holy Spirit. We've been given a new set of operating instructions, a new spirit placed within us. But guess what? The computer is old and clunky. It's still dead. It's still dying. Our brain is the same. Our flesh is the same. We've got the new instructions, we've got the Bible, and our mind. Now, so what is our mind? Our mind is the new, it's where we process information. And we are cooperating with God. Our mind is being turned over to God and we're saying, yes, Lord, we want the new operating instructions. We want that. But our flesh is going, huh? What is this? Just because you've got new instructions doesn't mean the flesh just gets better all of a sudden. My computer's still old. Right? I, can, I can take it back to the, to the guy and he can, he can defrag it. And we, can, we can do similar things in our life, right? We can plug into God's word and we can start reprogramming and we can spend time in fellowship and prayer and we can do all of the right things. But the base computer is still an old dog, right? And that's my brain. And that's why my mind and my brain can have these things going on at the same time. My mind is given over to the Spirit of Christ. But my clunky old brain, my old fleshy brain is going, I'm still getting over hurts from a long, long time ago. I'm still getting over hurts from two years ago, five years ago. 30 years ago I'm still dealing with all that stuff the scar tissue is there the, the damage is there 
The good news is, like your computer, you can actually get it running better, right? If you give it some serious time, you can run those, those uh, programs that will show you what to chuck out and what to keep, and, and you can start to make it an old dog run better, and we can do the same things with our brains, right? So we can get out of that fight-or-flight mode, we can have rest, which we can enjoy from the Lord. We can calm. We can find calm through meditation and praise and so forth. And our old fresh, fleshy brain can start to heal. Okay, but it's going to go. And we're going to get a new brain when the Lord returns. One that will fully take on the operator's instructions and, and put them in place. Praise God. Praise God indeed. So it's a really good thing. So we've got this all this old, and you know, lots of this is fairly new studies in, in what's going on in our brain. We're still a mystery. But we hear a lot about, you know, neural pathways and the, and the way that constant thinking sets up these pathways in our brain. And then we come along, we become Christians, and we start reading God's Word, and even 30 years later... God's word will challenge us and we start forming new neural pathways and and hopefully our old fleshy brain will start to heal. But this is why both can be in the same place at the same time. But it's good news for us, I think you'll agree. So Paul was exactly right, and it shouldn't surprise us that the Bible's right, but it's really nice, it's comforting, that when science comes around and says, this is exactly what's going on, and Paul the Apostle said it 2,000 years ago, that we have this battle with the flesh because sin is actually embedded in it. It's broken, and our new spirit and heart wage war with our flesh. So whilst our brain may not be fully repairable, our mind is critically important to what happens in our lives. Okay, so let's move into Romans 12.2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is our good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we see the renewing of our mind being critically important. We allow the Spirit to do that in us. And when we allow the Spirit to move in us that way, we come to understand what God's good, acceptable and perfect will is. And without the leading of the Spirit, we can't even begin to hope to understand God. But the Spirit informs us. But the verse has a, a few exhortations in it, doesn't it? Somebody want to find... So in Romans 12.2, the, the passage I just read, what are the exhortations for us? Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Right, exhortation number one. Right, and number two? Be transformed. be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Exactly right. So, clearly... Jesus promises to do the work within us, but he also exhorts us to take up the battle in his strength by following the leading of the Spirit. 
So it's easy to say, but how do we actually do it, right? So that's the that's the question. Well, we, we get tapped into the maker's instructions. We replace the code that we've been running on. We stop looking to the world. Don't be conformed to the world. We stop looking to the world for our instructions, but we go to the maker's manual instead, and we start to reprogram. And, it, and on one hand, it's really easy, right? It's a really simple thing to do. We read faithfully God's word and we meditate upon it. It's that simple. But is it that simple? Because just like our conversion, I find the consistency of what God does really amazing, right? Because our conversion on one hand was incredibly simple, wasn't it? Jesus died for my sins. But the hardest thing in the world to do is bend our knee. The hardest thing in the world to do is say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That's an incredibly hard thing for man to do. But in essence, it's an incredibly simple thing. Yield to God. We, but that doesn't come natural to our flesh. We also know that we can read God's word. We can meditate upon God's word in a pharisaical way. In an academic way, we can read it with wrong motive. We can read it simply so we can say we read it. We can read it to form arguments. We can, we can come at God's word for lots of different reasons. The important part is that we read it faithfully. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we saw the verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 4.2, that says that the word didn't profit them because it was not mixed with faith. The important thing for us, and I think I used the analogy earlier, that like a pot plant, you can pour water onto a pot plant, and sometimes you watch the water just run straight out the bottom of the pot plant. But it's really fast, right? Other times you pour it in and the water takes some while to go through. But the difference is the quality of the soil, right? And whether or not it's hanging on to the, to the good water for the plant or whether the soil is actually rejecting the water and it's going straight through. So the difference for us is faith. When we read God's word, are we allowing it to do its work in us? First and foremost, we know how easy it is to read God's word and say, gee, somebody else really needs that passage, you know. Can I, can I subtly bring that passage to that person's mind? Um, you know, God's word speaks to us first and foremost. And so that's the way we should read it. Now, 1 Corinthians 9, 26 to 27 says, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. That was a little bit of my experience this week. I often read the Bible, and the first thing that I'm thinking is how I would teach it. That's not the first thing I should be thinking. 
the first thing I should be thinking is, what's it saying to me? You know, what's it, you know, what is God saying to me? But the point about this passage is that Paul is talking about discipline and the aim of bringing his body into subjection, subjecting the flesh to his mind. And you'll note that he says, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. So it's not an aimless thing that we're involved in. We're not aimlessly trying to change or to take up some fight that we don't understand. We know clearly the battle is for our mind and the battle is for whether or not we will trust God. Belief versus unbelief. I've written here, we are to know our enemy, and our enemy is ourself. We first of all fight with our own flesh. It's our first first enemy. Okay, so I had there the slide that that went from the survey that said what helped um, Christians who uh, have suffered and experienced depression, what helped them keep going and we looked in previous weeks that the very first thing on mass that they responded was relationship with god but note the things that come in the sentences after that deliberate attempt to think biblically focus on christ taking up the battle for the mind be transformed by the renewing of your mind read and memorize the bible take every thought captive so christians understood really clearly For them to keep going through this very dark season of their life, it was about understanding God. It was about transforming the way they think, we think, I think. And so we see, first and foremost, the the role in transforming our mind is is to give over our will to God's will. And this is a really encouraging thing for Christians because it shows that God is at work within them. And that is super encouraging. So this is the battleground for our good mental health, to learn from God and to believe what he says. And and you'll remember, and I hope you found... Uh, really encouraging the, the passage in Isaiah that Jesus quoted that he has come to heal the brokenhearted. This is a fundamental part of his of his ministry and that is directly to us who feel who are brokenhearted. Okay. But we also have an adversary, the devil, and we saw in previous weeks the importance of avoiding isolation. Right, and to, to stay in in fellowship with, with our brothers and sisters because the devil looks to pick us off. And that sounds that sounds really um uh dramatic. The problem is in real life it's very undramatic. It's just one week leading into an X, leading into an X, slowly falling out of fellowship or slowly losing the good habits that you had and you you don't even really notice that it's happening but you wake up one day like the stray animal and you look up and you go where's my herd i'm out here on my own and the devil 
has got you where he wants you. The good thing is that we are never subject to the devil as Christians. Let's look at this verse in James 4. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now it's really important that you and I recognise that we are not called to go into battle with the devil. I've, I've known some people who, are, who have grown up in cultures, um, in, in Asian cultures, who are often very um, uh, superstitious, thank you, very superstitious, and they are worried about the devil. They, they're worried about what he's going to do, and even to talk about him is, is, is you know, inviting um, some kind of a danger. Well, we're given enough to know about the nature of our adver- adversary, but we are told to resist the devil. This is all we're asked to do. We're not bat- called to go into battle against him. Because Jesus has already gone into battle against him and he's already won the victory. This is really important. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Now go, Jesus says to us. You can go out into the world in the strength of Jesus. You're not called to go and trample on the devil. You're called to resist him. Now how do we resist him? What did Jesus do to resist him? Jesus in the wilderness. He used the word of God. Okay. We're called to stand for, be steadfast in our faith and to resist him. So being steadfast in our faith means to know what our faith is about. We're going to see later on to, to understand our, our faith with fear and trembling. But by knowing and believing and speaking God's word, by trusting, by trusting in God, the devil will flee from us. Okay, it's, so it's not a huge burden for us. We don't have to be thinking, I need to go into battle now. I used to really hate the thought because, because my depression was so overwhelming. The thought of me having to battle, it's a battle to get out of bed. And, I, and now I have to what? I have to battle Satan? Or I have to battle this or that? Or, you know, I have an argument with someone, I've got to battle you as well. Or, you know, just tiring. Just tiring. Well, we're not invited to go into that. We're invited to take up Jesus' victory over Satan, not to try to have our own, right? We just need to resist and he will flee. Okay, so we, we saw in the, in the 2 Corinthians verse 10, 3, that's up on the screen, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, we know from Ephesians 6, talking about God's armour, the only attacking weapon 
is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the only attacking weapon. Now, we see in 1 Timothy that our weapons include good doctrine, which is the right interpretation of the Word of God, faith, and a good conscience. And we saw last week in our study how we have a good conscience. We allow the blood of Jesus to wash us clean and give us a good conscience. We've got a good conscience because of the work of Jesus. But this 2 Corinthians 10 passage gives us a really fantastic understanding of what God's word goes into battle against. Can you throw the three things at me? What does God's word go into battle against? Strongholds. Strongholds. Yep. Yep, opposing arguments. And? Everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So the question is, where are these strongholds? Sorry? In our mind. Thank you. In our mind. I grew up thinking that this was a verse that meant I had to take on the world and demolish the arguments out there and be prepared to go into battle with the world and tell them what is right doctrine. Now, the thing is, if this verse was about the way we take on the world, how does verse 6 end? It says, And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Are we anywhere asked to go out and punish the world? No. The strongholds, the things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, the opposing arguments are all in our brain. They're all in us. This is a really frightening thing, isn't it? It's the finger that we point out at the world and we find pointed straight back at us. Why don't I walk in trust? Why don't I walk in faith? Why don't I walk in hope? Because I have all these false arguments in my head. All these things that I believe that aren't true. Now, I've got to say that, you know, at times in my life, I've held on to my depression, right? It's, It's become part of my character. It makes me deep and sincere, You know, when in in my teenage years, when all the guys were going off and doing really stupid things, well, I didn't do those things, probably because I was just overwhelmed, right? You know, but you become deep and, you know, serious and everyone thinks that you're very wise, but you're just fighting to stay alive on the inside. But we believe lies and we build up these strongholds in our mind. Now, so I'm going to share some things with you that might surprise you. And I, as I've done through this course, I don't share things about myself for fun. I share them so that I don't have to pick on anyone here, right? You you internalise them and make them personal for yourself, right? That's... Okay, so you use my stupidity as a springboard to see your own stupidity. That's the, that's the point of me sharing these things, right? So I very rarely swear. And I never swear at other people 
But I will regularly swear at myself, right? I will regularly call myself names. I will say to myself, you fool. I will say that regularly. You idiot. Sometimes the you idiot is prefaced by a word beginning with F, right? Because I'm so disgusted with myself, right? But I would never speak to anyone here like that. I would never speak to anyone like that. And this just points out a, a, a strange way of thinking, doesn't it? Hang on, why would I respect everyone else but not myself? Why would I, why would I think it is sin to speak to somebody else like that but gladly speak to myself that way? That's wrong. Okay, that's just wrong. That's a stronghold. That's a stronghold that existed for 30 years in me. Up until this week, it exists in me, right? I find myself sitting at my desk at work and thinking, you idiot, you know, like, but I would never call somebody else an idiot, okay? So we have these strange things within us. We, we treat ourselves differently to the way we treat others. Now, some people don't. They're completely consistent. They're rude to themselves and they're rude to everyone else too. But, but for me, this actually is showing I've got a theological problem, right? It's a belief problem. It's sin for me to speak to somebody else that way, but it's not strangely a sin to speak to myself that way. And the last time I checked, I'm a child of God too, right? So why am I speaking to even myself that way? It's wrong. Now, I've told you previously about this weekend that I had on this university um, program that I went on. And, and, I, and I told you how, you know, I was called out on a couple of my behaviours. You remember me saying that I had written a, that, you know, I don't deserve the air that I breathe or the space that I take up. And the lecturer said to me, um, you know, is that the same for me? And I said, of course not. You know, you're loved and you're precious. And he said, well, you're a hypocrite. And I understood that I actually was a hypocrite. It made sense to me. And then later on, you remember I got talking to this, uh, this lady who, who had been sexually abused as a kid. And, and I realised that I had love and compassion for her. But for me, disgust absolute disgust right up until that moment you know I'm a fool how could I let that happen complete derision for myself but for her forgiveness and compassion my doctrine was wrong so it's really important here this is about God's word going bang cutting right into your heart and saying what you believe Christian is wrong your doctrine is wrong what you believe about me is wrong and you and it needs the change now on the on the third night of this university thing so as a cracker of a weekend god had just lined me up right and um but it was a perfect time right in his own way once again over dinner one of the one of the ladies who was a facilitator in the course and had been there from the beginning and she had 
uh, interviewed me at the beginning that got me onto the program and so we we had some sort of a relationship and we were sharing over dinner and and she said to me um and, and I just feel uncomfortable even saying this but she said Chris you're special and I laughed at her it was just my natural thing I just laughed at her right I thought I've never heard something so ridiculous in all my life what you know it was and it was derision right I, and she just said to me she she just said don't laugh at me I've given you a gift. <laughs> I've given you a gift and it is your choice as to whether you receive it or not. But if you value me, you will value the gift. Right? And even as she said it, I was thinking of the gospel. Right? And I was, I was laughing by the time she finished the sentence because I was already thinking about Jesus' forgiveness. He's given me this gift and I can laugh at him and say, Jesus, you're mad. Why would you forgive me? Of all the sinners on the planet, why would you forgive me? But he has. And I can say that he's mad. I, I can try that one. Right? If I value the giver, I will value the gift. That's really important principle. Is God mad? Is he valuable? He is. Therefore, we value what he gives us. We don't reject it. So that was an incredibly important thing for me. Now, I once again had a, a false belief. I had told myself the lie that I could accept salvation but not restoration. Jesus might have done this transaction to save me, but surely he doesn't want to hang around with me. Surely he doesn't want to be doing this work in me. And why why would he was really the question. But I was judging God, as we looked at last week. Judging God is, isn't a very wise occupation, right? It's, it's foolishness. My judgment was exalted against the knowledge of God. Right? Now, I don't know if you, right in this moment, can have the ability to look into your own things that you say to yourself or your own beliefs that cause you to be dark and overwhelmed at times, whether it's a short time or a long time. Whether it's you find out today that you're losing your job and you panic or you've been made redundant and, you, and you're coping with the stress of that and you're panicking for a long time, right? Both forms of panic are, are not trusting in God in that moment. Okay, we have these areas of knowledge in our lives that we need God to shatter. Okay, the strongholds are in our mind. Now, sometimes God can be tough with us, but... I, I just got a laugh. I was on a university workshop worth thousands of dollars that was given to me so I didn't have to pay a cent. I was sitting at dinner enjoying a lovely steak and red wine and God was rearranging my heart. He was doing open heart surgery whilst I was in a privileged, wonderful place. And it just speaks to me volumes about the way God works with us. 
that he is so gentle. He's willing. He's, he will just go about his work. The Holy Spirit will go about his work in the right way, in the right time, sometimes tough, sometimes super gentle, sometimes loud, other times still small voice, knowing what we need at the time. Okay, but his work is ongoing. And for me, I drove home from that weekend and I knew that depression had lost a foothold. I just, I just knew it. Some of the lies, some of the falsehoods had been broken. The things that I tell myself had been broken. So for you and I, when we think we know best, God's word will come and teach us otherwise. When we're lifted up, God's word reminds us that we are adopted children. Where strongholds of depression exist, God's word brings down the city on bad foundations, just like Joshua's Jericho. And like Joshua and Jericho, and we keep coming back to that those verses, Joshua wasn't called to go into battle, not to battle with his flesh, but rather to watch God work. Right, and it's very important for us. Exodus fourteen thirteen, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And so often when you and I feel like we need to go into battle what God is actually saying is be still and watch me work. Because what happens when we are still before the Lord? What happens in us? We're expecting to hear from God. Yep, exactly right. What else happens? We're letting him do it, not trying to do it ourselves. Yep, we're letting him do it. And we're trusting in that, aren't we? We're trusting in God to do his work. His work to break things down. His, his work to have victory. So these are really important things for us. We, we are called often just to be still. So our role is not to resist the work of the Spirit. Okay, which we see in Acts 7.51. And do not quench the Spirit, but allow God to work in you. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. So the Holy Spirit is at work within us. We just allow that work to happen. Now, once again, the cause of, of hope that this gives to us as Christians is, is apparent, that God is at work within us. So we see a couple of quotes there. 
I think it is super important, says one believer, to rejoice in the Lord always because he is always worthy of our praise. Also, learn to discern the difference between the voices in your head and the kind of things that God would would or would not say. We need to take every thought captive and banish the lies while listening to the truth. Faith that good will come out of your situation, understanding that God can change your life in taking your depression away. And the last one on that little slide there. I believe his word has the power to change my mind and his Holy Spirit has been working in and through me. Okay, it's an amazing thought that God himself is working within us. We as a people are in transition. That's what this means. We're being transformed. We're in transition. God is at work. He's changing our lives. And we've seen in in some of our early nights the the despair and the overwhelming nature of some of the psalms but we're going to look now at psalm 30 1 to 5 um, and then 11 and 12 um, to get a different view would somebody like to read psalm 30 1 to 5 and then 11 and 12 i will extol you O lord for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks to the, at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And 11 and 12. You have turned for me my morning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Okay, so this is just a beautiful psalm, isn't it? That just is dripping in hope. But we see the balance in it. Verse 3, O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. Okay, this is how we often feel. Then sometimes we feel that God is angry with us or that his, his favour has been turned away from us. But we, we have the assurance in verse 5 that his anger is but for a moment. His favour is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So we see this beautiful hope that today might have been terrible this morning might have been terrible but that doesn't mean this afternoon needs to be terrible it doesn't mean that tomorrow needs to be terrible okay every day is new and we see how healing has come to the psalmist you have healed me and then in verse 11 you have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness what a complete turnaround from mourning into dancing And so for us, it's just really important we understand that there are seasons of life for for one reason or another. Our current season or a past season might have included depression or anxiety, but a new season will come. It will come. Healing is on the way. I thought only today about our farmers. You know, they must be so distressed. The drought is so deep. This drought is so deep. 
And as it goes on, of course, you start beginning to wonder whether it's ever going to rain again, right? It's raining today in the city, but I don't think it is out west. And we're very blessed in Sydney to live in this place that rains and on this dry continent. But but farmers traditionally generally know the seasons and what they're going to do and they know that if they plant now they'll reap a harvest later and you know but and it's a faithful activity isn't it because they they sow when conditions might not be perfect they sow expecting that surely the rain will come you know and eventually it does you know and eventually they get the seasons and it's in some places, obviously, farming is far easier than others. But, um, but there's this trust that one season will move into another. And you might be in a winter now. But spring is coming. You know, winter doesn't stay forever. Spring is coming. New life will come. So there might be weeping in the night, but joy will come in the morning. Really important. Now... This psalm also, if you're still looking at that one, Psalm 30, has some truths in it that can really fill us with hope. So let's just see if we can find them. So, yeah, some causes for hope in this psalm. You healed me. You healed me. Yep, absolutely. The psalmist declares you healed me. You lifted me up. Exactly right. Now, just before you healed me was a response to what? Crying out out to him. So what does that say about God? He listens to us. Incredibly important for us. Not only does he listen, he answers. Okay. What other causes for hope are there in this passage? Keeps us alive. Yep. He restores us. And I should not go down to the pit. Yep, we should not go down to the pit. He lifts our soul up from the grave. So he rescues and he saves us, doesn't he? And the enemies will not succeed. Yep, fantastic. His favour lasts forever. He's, it's for all of our life just hang on to that hang on to that we often don't feel like things are going great in our life but God's favour lasts forever for our full life joy comes in the morning that's exactly right mornings do come every day So we see this sadness to gladness, don't we? And we see it sometimes in a very short space of time, from night to morning. Sackcloth and ashes to uh, being clothed, clothed with gladness. Morning to dancing. An incredible life that we live. Praise the Lord that this work is going on within us. And if you have moments of joy which I'm positive you all do. 
if you have moments where you read where you read the Bible or you're praising the Lord or you're singing or you're, you're enjoying the rain on your face as I did today walking out in the rain or you're watching a baby or you're looking at your kid or you're just having any kind of a moment where you're just your heart sings that's just testimony that God is working in you those moments can become more frequent in your life and they are becoming more frequent in your life so it's it's just critically important that we understand unlike what the world would teach that our sanctification this process of being transformed into the image of Christ is not at the expense of joy it is the cause of our joy just for the fact that he's working in us now this to me is a miracle upon a miracle God could have easily have saved this and said Chris that's all the work I'm going to do I'm just going to save you and I would have enough cause to just praise and sing all my life right all of us should recognise that the very fact that we're saved should just um, impress upon our hearts and minds how much God loves us. And if and, and if that was all he did, and, and he said, I'm going off to heaven now and I'll see you in more than 51 years' time um, so far, then, you know, that would be good enough, right? What does God owe us? Absolutely nothing. Right? He owes us nothing. Only... The, the love that he has in his own character that he chooses to bestow upon us. And that causes him not to just retreat to heaven, but to stay and keep working, to keep working with us and enjoy the fellowship with us. What a great cause of joy that is for us. And it's amazing to think that Jesus, the Holy Spirit and God are all completely committed to the work that they are doing in our life. They're committed to us having a full and abundant life. An amazing thought. Okay, so this just leads into the final set of passages here that joy is found in what God is doing. Now, sometimes that is our circumstances are improving. Sometimes that is our circumstances are getting worse. That's the hard one, right? I get that. Sometimes it's when everything's going wrong. Seemingly, God's redeeming that. He's working in that. Okay. The important thing for us to remember is that God is working. He's committed to it. He's promised it. He'll see it through to the day when Jesus returns. And all things, we get our new glorified, brand new body, which I'm looking forward to. Psalm 16, 9 to 11. Would somebody like to read that for us? Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Okay, what a beautiful psalm. All right, my heart is glad, my glory rejoices, my flesh also will rest in hope. And I really love that verse because it shows what does gladness in our heart lead to in verse 9. 
gives rest to our flesh, right? This sickly body, okay, mine's more sickly than yours, but this sickly body receives hope, receives strength because of gladness in our heart. So this thing that's happening in our mind makes its way into our own flesh. And, I, you know, I've known that even today. I've had cause at work today to, to feel anxious. I feel my heart racing. And I just feel the work piling up and piling up and more and more responsibility. And I feel my butterflies and, I, and I'm getting nervous and anxious. And, you know, I just want to go and have a little cry somewhere, right? But I'm reminded, go and pray, right? Crying's good. Crying's good. Um, but pray. Praise. Just say, what, Lord, what are you doing? How would you have me respond? How can I give this over to you? I'm feeling anxious because I'm taking responsibility for all the work that these deals are putting upon me. <laughs> and I can't control them. I can't control people giving me more and more work I can control the way I respond to it I can either take full responsibility for it or I can say as my darling wife taught me when we were very young you can only do what you can do I can I can just say Lord help me I'll do my best but ultimately it's in your hands it's in your hands and a strange thing happens your heart slows down a little bit. Then you wonder if you're having a heart attack. No, that's not true. So your flesh starts to respond to what your brain is telling it, right? Your brain is saying, flesh, I'm going to bring you under control. It's very weird what our flesh can do. I meant to say this in previous weeks. If you've had... Um, you know, experience where your heart plays up, right? And you see, then your flesh and your brain respond to what, sorry, your brain responds to what your heart is doing. Okay, so I know people who, for instance, have arrhythmia or things like that, and um, and I know people who have had, say, hypothyroid, where your where your heart will race, and then what happens? Your your brain responds to what your body's doing and says, hang on, I should be panicking. Because it's panicking, so I should be panicking. So it's, we think that it always happens the other way around, right? Where our brain, we panic first and then our heart starts to race. Well, there's this relationship, right? So sometimes it's the other way around. Our body starts sending signals to our brain and our brain then responds um, in order. But what our brain tells our flesh is very, very important. Gladness in our heart, rejoicing, can lead to rest in our flesh. Okay, so that's important for us. David's confidence in this psalm, I'm just going to keep on saying it all the way through this course because it's something I need to learn and I need to trust in, that it is confidence in God not confidence in you or in me. David's confidence is in God. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption, says David. Now, we know that this is a prophecy about Jesus. We know it's a prophecy about him being placed in the tomb, 
and rising from the dead. But it's a promise to us too that we too will not see corruption in the sense of we have died our death and we now live with him. Our eternity has begun. We already have our first fruits of heaven within us by the Spirit. And that fruit is just going to continue to come in abundance, both in our life and and following our physical death. In that sense, our healing is completely guaranteed. Now, some people live with hope that their depression will go. Others believe it may not. But I know that I'm going to get a new body and God is going to be faithful to me all the way through and eventually I'm going to be healed. Absolutely guaranteed. I think we can, I think we can have both. We can, we can trust in God to be healing us and we can trust in God to completely blow it out of the water um, when he comes again. And finally, I love in this little passage, this little psalm, that, that David is just with his beautiful peace about him. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So there's this focus on the future. There's this joyful walk with the Lord. There's a peace about it, isn't there? There's no anxiety or, you know, uptightness. Uh, what have I got to do? No race. It is just a, you will show me the path of life. It's just a beautiful satisfaction in, in what God is doing in his life. And it's just so, it's so important for us just to know that God is not distant. He's not, he's not away in heaven and having nothing to do with us. He's not a guru sitting on a hill that we've got to make our way up to. He just enjoys being with us. He has great rejoicing over us and he loves the intimacy that we have with him. And his work in us has not come to an end, but rather it is just getting started. It's a very, very good thing. So I hope that you've seen this week that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are completely committed to changing us to transforming us and to bringing us into glory. Their faithfulness is what brings it about, not ours. But there's this very real battle going on in our, in our minds and for our minds. What will we believe? Our old fleshy brain has got all of these corruptions in it. But we can allow the Holy Spirit, we can allow the Word of God to fix those corruptions, to change the way we think and for our actual fleshy brain to start responding healthily. But it's a battle to think the right way, to give it over to God. But we should also be relieved by that, in the sense that it explains why we can have this dichotomy within us. That we've got the flesh, we've got the new mind that's being given over to God, and that's perfectly normal for every Christian Every Christian might not get as dark as some of us might get. They might not despair the way we get, but they have other stuff going on. They have other false beliefs going on. Well, how come, how come they don't seem to forgive people properly when they themselves have been forgiven? Well, just because that's a stronghold that hasn't been shattered in their life yet. So 
we're a work in progress and that's very comforting to us. But we can take our thoughts captive. We can, with some discipline, believe God's word. We can stand still and watch him work and we can enjoy the fact that he's transforming us. We can take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and allow it to penetrate our own lives. This is one of the big things for me in studying this. The Holy Spirit does his work. The sword of the Spirit does its work in us first. To discern the thoughts of the heart and mind in us. God doesn't need to know. He doesn't need anything to tell us what's on our heart and our mind. He knows us intimately. The word reveals our thoughts, our heart and our mind, and it um, pierces into us and and we by faith allow him to do that work in us and we enjoy it even because he is good now next week we're going to be looking at further encouragement and seeing what God's plans are for us and that is a that's a super encouraging session so uh, I hope you all look forward to it so let's pray Heavenly Father, we, as we study your word, we just get so many reasons to praise you and to worship you. You've been so good to us. You love us so deeply. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he shed his blood for us. We thank you that we're washed clean, not just of our sins, but they're so completely taken away that even our consciences can be washed clean. Lord, we thank you that your work in us is ongoing and We just commit ourselves into your care, just like a good doctor, the best specialist, the best surgeon. We just trust you to do the right thing by us. We trust you that your work is needed, it's timely, it's good for us. And Lord, we want to give you glory because you deserve it. We thank you that through the ages you've just shown your faithfulness from the beginning of mankind through till now you've loved us you've been faithful you've been kind you wish that none would perish but you and you've made way for each and every person on this planet to be reconciled with you and so lord we just want to give you glory we want to give you thanks we want to live lives that are full of worship and praise for you in a world that needs you and needs hope lord we just want to We want to be um, testimony to the work that you do in people's lives. That we um, have these times of fantastic joy amidst the darkness in in our lives. And Lord, we just look forward to your ongoing work. We look forward to more joy and more hope and more light in our lives as your spirit transforms us into the likeness of Jesus. Help us, Lord, just to point to Jesus in all things that others would come to know him as their saviour too. We thank you for your amazing love. In Jesus' name, amen.